Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Derek Olson in today's message. I am so thankful for what we just got to sing, what God's Word teaches us, right? That not only, not only does the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus give us new life, life eternal, forgive us from our sin, make us right with God, as if that wasn't enough, what we just got to sing about was that God then makes us part of his family, that good? That's good. I like that a lot. Good morning, friends. How are we doing? My name's Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and glad you're with us, and we're about to get into God's Word, and I want to know if anybody's ready to hear from God's Word this morning. Okay. See, that's what we need to do. Ready? Um, but before we do, I'll tell you get to get out your Bibles and where to turn in just a moment, but before we do, let me ask you this. Have you heard the expression, the truth will set you free? Have you heard that expression? Sometimes we hear it in some random places, in some places we don't expect. Who's heard the expression, the truth has set me free, has set you free? Um, so where do we hear that? Sometimes uh, we've heard that, uh, I know there's several academic institutions, there's universities that have made this their motto. They've put it on the buildings, they've put it in the brochures. The truth will set you free. As if, hey, come to our university where you can study and learn the truth, and that'll just make your life. You know, we're the place to be because uh, you, you can learn here. And, and, of course, I guess what they're going for there, the truth will set you free. And, the, and these academic institutions using it are saying that they're using that phrase to talk about uh, academic freedom and, and our, uh, power, the power of learning and what you can accomplish if you learn enough. With me so far? Where else have we heard this expression? The truth will set you free. Uh, I'm thinking about detective shows, too. Thinking about criminal investigations, and we watch a detective show on TV or something, and, and you know, they're trying to figure out what went down and who was the bad guy and who did what. And they say, the truth will set you free, as if discovering the facts, right? I got to get to the bottom of this. I got to figure out what's right, and that will make everything okay. Uh, the phrase sounds good, though, right? When you hear the phrase, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, that sounds appealing, doesn't it? But I think we want to make sure this morning that we get that from where it came from. I want to hear, I don't want to hear about academic, I mean, universities' mottos and investigating crimes. I want us to think this morning, when we hear the phrase, the truth will set you free, I want us to think of the man who said it 2,000 years ago, and that's Jesus. It's on the screen in John 8, 31. Read this with me. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's Jesus who said it. And it doesn't have to do with a university or solving a crime. And when we take it out of context and we just read the last phrase, the truth will set you free, we could think that the truth would stand for anything. But when we put that phrase back in the context, in the sentence in which Jesus spoke, we get this from Jesus. If you abide in my word, 
You are truly my disciples, my followers, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We know elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the truth. Abide in me. Follow me. Continue to listen to me. Continue in my word. Then you will know the truth, and then you will be set free. I'm interested in knowing about that truth. What about you? Let's, let's look for that this morning. Instead of just saying, anytime we feel like it, spouting off the phrase, the truth will set you free, let's think about what Jesus is saying when Jesus says it. Jesus says, I am the truth. And when he asks us to abide in his word, what does he mean? Abide has a sense of continuing, right? Not just starting with Jesus, not just listening to his words once back in our history when we first came to know and follow Jesus, but Jesus is saying, abide in my word, continue in my word, continue to listen to me, continue to know what God says. And that's uh, what he's inviting us to this morning is to abide in the word of God and abide in his word. So I want us this morning to, we're going to continue to talk about a gospel-saturated life this morning. And I want us to find this amazing result of a gospel-saturated life. I want to, I want ready for this? I want us to find the joy that comes from a gospel-saturated life. And here it is on the screen. Part of the joy, an amazing result of a gospel-saturated life is this, that we abide in God's word and we are set free. I abide in God's word and I am set free. Because Paseo del Rey, true freedom is found by those who hear and respond in faith to God's word. Freedom isn't come from just any kind of truth. Freedom comes from the truth of God, from Jesus himself. When we ignore the Bible's teaching, when we take things into our own hands, when we go away from God's word, when we disobey, when we find ourselves in rebellion to him, when we go away from God's word, we find ourselves stuck. We've been talking about this for weeks as we've been looking at the book of Galatians in our Bible. We find ourselves enslaved, stuck in our sin, stuck worshiping things that should not be worshiped, elevating things in our lives to a place they shouldn't be to the point of worshiping them. We end up uh, when we reject the Bible's teaching, when we go against what Jesus says, we are enslaved to legalism, to a law, key, a rules-based religion. If I can just do enough stuff, if I do this, if I do that, if I go to church often enough, if I can just be a good person, we become enslaved to that mentality that, we'll, that, we, that we're not good enough, that we'll never measure up, that we've got to keep trying harder. But a gospel-saturated life reminds us that we abide in God's word and we can be set free. Paseo del Rey, we are a biblical people. What do I mean by that? God's people are to be a biblical people. God's people are to be a people of his word. And as a, and as a biblical people, we listen to and obey his word by faith. And in doing so, we receive his grace and we find freedom to live the way he intended us to live. 
free to live for him. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Doesn't that sound good? So we're in a series of messages where we're studying through a book of uh, the book in your Bible called Galatians. We're in a series of messages we've called The Gospel-Saturated Life. So go ahead and grab your Bible if you haven't already done so and open to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 21 in just a minute. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. If you want to use the Bible that's underneath the chair there, it's page 1170. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. I'll read in just a minute or two from uh, starting at verse 21. That's page 1170. But, but, but before we get into the word, let me just say this. We're in this series called The Gospel-Saturated Life. What's that all about? What's the gospel? Let's be reminded. Let's never, let's, let's never forget what the gospel is. We've heard it this morning proclaimed in our songs. We've heard Pastor Gary read from Ephesians 2 about the gospel. The gospel is this. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done. The gospel is the good news that while you and I were yet sinners, still stuck in rebellion against God, totally undeserving of his love, children of wrath, we read earlier, while that was our situation, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive through Jesus. The good news is that we were there, but God didn't leave us there. He came to get us in, in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We can have new life. And part of that good news is that we don't earn it, that we don't have to try hard, that we don't have to do certain things and make God love us and to make that rescue happen. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has already done. That's the gospel. Okay? So we're in a series of messages called The Gospel-Saturated Life. Why? Because we want to be soaked in the gospel. I want you and I to so know that truth, that story that I just told, the good news of Jesus, we want to be so impacted and so aware of what God has done that it changes us, that we can't stay the same, that God's transforming work continues to make us more and more like him for his glory. And part of that, as we live a gospel-saturated life, is that as he changes us, we are going to take the gospel to those around us who need it desperately. We want to ask God during this series to help us live a gospel-saturated life that changes us and that changes those around us by his power. So, before we uh, read the word, let me pray. Father God, thanks for your presence with us this morning. Thanks that you are with us this morning and always. Thank you, God, that those of us uh, who have trusted in you have received your spirit. You, God, yourself, living, dwelling within us, helping us, changing us, helping us to hear from you this morning. God, I pray that you would be our teacher through your word this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you and be changed by you and to respond to you, not out of guilty um, uh, need, but God, to respond to you out of, out of humble, thankful love for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Galatians 4, starting at verse 21. Page 1170. We're going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go back through it. Galatians is a book in your Bible uh, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a group of Christians at a place called Galatia. So he says this, Tell me, 
You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written, and here he's talking about written in the Old Testament and the Old, Old, Old Testament scriptures. So he goes to the Bible. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, again, he goes to scripture, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. And continuing one verse into the next chapter, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So if you're like me, the first time you read that, you totally understood it perfectly. <laughs> no. So I had the opportunity to study here with people smarter than me that have, have looked at this stuff and helped us to understand. And so as we look back through the passage now again, uh, my hope is that I'll be somewhat helpful to you in clarifying just a little bit what Paul was trying to explain to the Galatians there, and uh, we're gonna, definitely going to summarize it. We're not going to try to explain every bit of what we just read, but, uh, but let's go back through it here and ask God to show us what he has for us this morning. Verse 21 again says, Paul writing to these Christians in Galatia says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So remember what, what's happening here. We've been studying Galatians for several weeks. If you've been around, some of you have been around, some of you have not, that's okay. Paul is writing to this group of Christians who have been misled. They have been misled to think that there's something else they've got to do in order to be made right with God. He's saying these, these false teachers have come to these Christians in Galatia and said, hey, it's great that you follow Jesus, but you also need to da, 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 da. These, these people are coming and misleading the Galatians into thinking that it's Jesus plus other stuff, not Jesus alone. And so these, these uh, Galatian Christians are being misled that they need to measure up, that they need to please God by doing other stuff, that they need to follow every bit of the old Jewish ceremonial law. And the example we often hear in this book is circumcision, that even those that are not Jewish should act Jewish and follow Jewish laws and get circumcised to please God. And Paul is making sure that we all know that it's not Jesus plus something else. It's trusting in Jesus by faith, period, that makes us right with God. You with me? And so Galatians, they're, they're being misled and they think they need to do this other stuff in order to be made right with God. And so Paul says to them, you want to be under the law, but do you even listen to the law? 
Do you understand what the, God's heart is? Do you understand? Do you, do you read the word for what God really wants from you? And so he then is going to start walking them through what the Bible says. And he's going to start walking us through this morning what the Bible says and how we should hear from God on this. I want to just give a quick bit of credit. Uh, this week as I studied this uh, fairly complicated, hard-to-interpret passage, I got a lot of help from people that you know, write about this stuff, and I just wanted to say that in particular, a pastor and author named Todd Wilson was really helpful to me. And so you can see on your outline, if you're taking notes and filling in the blanks, those three reminders that we're about to walk through are, are straight from Todd Wilson's good work on this. So I appreciate that. But as we go here into our passage now, watch what Paul does. He takes us to God's word. What do we read earlier that Jesus said? Abide in my word. Jesus said to us earlier, abide in my word. So Paul is going, hey, you guys have a problem. These guys are misleading you. I want you to abide in my word. Paul's going to take us to the word, to the Bible, to what has already been written in the Old Testament. He reminds us this morning then that what we always say, to keep our fingers in the text. Friends, when you need to hear from God, when you need to know what is right and good and true, don't listen to what the culture has to say. Don't take for granted some opinion of someone near you. Don't just come up with your own ideas, but we keep our fingers in the text. And that's what Paul helps us with this morning. He continues into verse 22 and 23, and I think his urging here is to rely on divine initiative. That's your next fill-in. What he, what he explains to us in the next couple of verses is because he wants us to rely on divine initiative. What's divine? From God. To rely on God's initiative and his work. Verses 22 and 23 remind us that Abraham had two sons by two different women. One by a slave woman who was Hagar, and one son came from a free woman named Sarah. And these verses also remind us, or they teach us, that the son of the slave, that's Ishmael, was born. And our passage, if you keep your finger in the text there, keep your fingers in Galatians while I'm going this morning. You see that it says the son of the slave woman, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. What's that all about? We'll talk about that in a second. And the son of the free woman, that's Isaac, was born through promise. Why, does Paul, how, why do we think that Paul is reminding us to rely on God's initiative, on divine initiative. Because this, Ishmael was the result of mere human initiative. Ishmael was born because of human effort, human initiative. But Isaac came as a result of divine, of God's work. What do I mean? Well, if you take the time to go back to the Old Testament story in Genesis and read about Abraham and his sons and Ishmael and Isaac and how they came to be, what we would find is that Ishmael was born when Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands, human initiative, human efforts. They wanted to solve a problem. They desperately wanted to have this baby that God promised them that they would have, but they weren't having it. And so they went around God's good purposes and plans. They took human initiative. They made human plans. They had a human idea that they acted on, and that was Sarah bringing her slave woman Hagar to Abraham to sleep with to create a baby. That was mere human initiative. They were trying to force the action. They were trying to make things happen on their own. Isaac, their son Isaac, though, 
was the fulfillment of God's promise when he was born to Sarah. After many, many years of waiting, God fulfilled his promise. And that was God fulfilling his promise to Abraham and making Abraham the father of many, many descendants. And it's through the line of Isaac that God fulfills his promise to be a blessing to all peoples everywhere. When they did human initiative, things were a mess. When they trusted God's divine initiative, it resulted in God-pleasing blessing to all. So what about us this morning? Human initiative leads to human results. When we take what we think is a shortcut, when we take actually the long way around God's good purposes and plans, when we take our own efforts into consideration and come up with our own ideas, two sinful humans get together and create more sinful, smaller humans. And when we let our human initiative get carried away and we, we get only human results, when we rely on ourselves, we end up enslaved to the things we already talked about, enslaved to rules keeping and trying to earn God's love that way. We end up enslaved to our own sin. We fall short, we sin, we sin again, we stuck, we can't go. We're enslaved to our sin. We're enslaved to worshiping things that should not be worshiped, worshiping things other than God. So human initial, a human initiative gets us those pathetic human results. Instead, Paul's reminding us then to rely on divine initiative. He's saying to the Galatians, and he's saying to you and I this morning, you can trust in Jesus. You can rely on God's initiative, God's work, God's rescue plan, God's promises. And in fact, the more we entrust ourselves to the only one who judges justly, the more we entrust ourselves to him instead of taking on our own efforts, the more we walk in the freedom that Jesus has for us, the more we live and enjoy life as God's free children. So first, God, through Paul, took us to the Old Testament to remind us that we need to rely on divine initiative, not our own. Secondly, here comes a reminder now that we should rejoice in God's power. Verse 27, if you got your finger in the text still there, verse 27 is Paul quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And um, it, just to recap what was going on with God's people, who Isaiah is speaking to when Isaiah writes these words, God's people Israel were a complete failure at this point in being a blessing to others. God's people were not carrying out his love to others. God's people were stuck and enslaved. And yet, despite the fact that God's people had failed their mission, despite the fact that Israel was basically barren, he's using birth language here, despite the fact that Israel was a failure in bringing forth new life and being God's blessing in the world, Despite all that, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in those words in verse 27, and he promises that through God's people, he will bring about new life. Where there was nothing, he will make new life. That God's people would become a growing family and that they would flourish spiritually. Can God do that? Absolutely. Can God do that, friends? Bring forth life where there was nothing? 
Think about Genesis chapter one. He spoke and stuff happened. Everything that was created, the heavens and the earth and you and I, everything was created, was created from nothing. God spoke and it was. We have a God who is amazing at making something out of nothing. And he's promising God's people here, Israel, that he will bring forth life. We have a God who is awesome at making something out of nothing. He brings light to the darkness. He brings life from death. And so why would we trust our own efforts? When we trust in our own efforts, our own initiative, we're just giving ourselves credit. Hey, uh, wow, I'm pretty good. Look at what I can do. We're rejoicing. We're giving praise to ourselves instead of recognizing the great creator God that we have who makes awesome stuff out of nothing. And so that's why Paul is saying we've got to rejoice in God's power. We need to rely on his initiative, not our own. And we need to, we need to rejoice in his power instead of giving ourselves credit. And then third, Paul continues the passage and he wants us to root out whatever might enslave us. To root out or to cast out or to get rid of or to throw off. You can put in whatever you want there. The third thing I think Paul is driving at here as we look at verse 30 is that we need to root out whatever might enslave you. Verse 30 in Galatians, keep your your fingers there. Verse 30 says, but what did the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. Sounds kind of harsh. Cast out the slave woman and her son. But there's human plans and initiative and human results, and there's God's promises and God's plans and God's results. And in this case, they need to cast out the slave woman And and that's why Paul's writing this to Galatians and he's making this comparison and he's saying, hey guys, get rid of those people that are lying to you. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done it. You don't have to work. And those people are lying to you, Paul's saying. So cast them out. Those false teachers are trying to tell you that you gotta do stuff to make God pleased, that you've gotta be a good person and come to church and check these boxes, and get circumcised, and act Jewish, even though you're not Jewish. What a bunch of baloney, Paul's saying. The Derek version, apparently. That's what Paul was saying. Root out whatever might enslave you. The Galatians need to get rid of these teachers that are telling them they could only be made right with God by working and doing their own stuff. And we've got to cast out what enslaves us too. I think there's two ways we need to look at this. Is individually, as followers of Jesus, what does it look like to cast out what enslaves us? And then I think we need to look at it collectively as a church family as well. First of all, individually, uh, Hebrews 12 tells us that we must throw off, throw off the sins that so easily entangle. Don't you love that language? Picture that. Picture the sins that so easily entangle and drag us down, right? And Hebrews says we got to throw them off. And, and, and we throw them off, yes, by asking God. We, we, we throw them off by, with God's help, by his grace, by the Spirit's power at work within us. 
but there are things that we can do with God's help to throw off the sins that entangle. Do we spend time in God's word? Do we spend time in prayer? Do we spend time in real relationships with fellow Christians, other, another Christian or two or a few that know who we really are? A place who we, where we can confess our sins and be loved with God's love in, in any way and where we can be spurred to follow him and where we can be spurred toward healing. We need to be in God's word. We need to be in, in prayer with him. We need to be in relationship with other Christians. If you need to be in a growth group or you need to be in our vine life ministry so you can tell the truth about your life and throw off the sins that so easily entangle us. And then as a whole, as a group, as a church family, how do we, how do we um, root out whatever might enslave us? This is where Pastor Gary has been reminding us a few times in our series. We need to preach the gospel to one another. We need to remind one another that it's Jesus that saves, not us on our own efforts. That we don't have to earn his love, that he gave it as a gift for us to receive by faith. And we forget that. And the person next to you this morning forgets that and starts to take things into their own hands and work on their own initiative and have their own ideas and think, I've got to do this or God's not going to like me anymore. And you are there to speak the truth into their life of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we have life and that it's done and that we need to entrust ourselves to him. So we preach the gospel to one another. We don't allow f- members of our family to go off and go astray and to rebel against God and to disbelieve what the Bible teaches. And we don't allow others from outside our church family to come in and mess things up either. We cling to the truth and we cling to one another so that we can root out whatever might enslave you. So Paul's writing to us this morning, writing to the Galatians, writing to us, took us to the Bible to remind us of those things, that we rely on his initiative, that we should rejoice in his power, and that we need to root out what enslaves us. Because let's look again on the screen at what Jesus said. and Read this again with me. Read it with me, ready? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't want to be enslaved and stuck in my sin and my rebellion against God. I want to be free. I don't want to worship other things in my life that are not God. I don't want to be enslaved to rule-keeping and thinking I've got to earn his love. So Jesus says to us and says to me, if you abide in my word, then you're my followers and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Romans 8, 2 tells us that the spirit of life, God himself, the spirit comes to live in us. When you're a follower of Jesus, when you have trusted in Jesus and the spirit comes to dwell within you, Romans 8, 2 tells us that the spirit of life has set us free from the power of sin. Jesus says, abide in my word, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free from what? Free from the power of sin. Okay, so let me, let me, let me wait, check this. Hold on. Okay, so those of you that are Christians, when you ask, when you trusted Christ, all your sin went away, right? Oh, it didn't? 
oh man, I thought, I was, I thought that was going to be really cool if that was the case. No, our sin doesn't just disappear, but Romans 8.2 says that the spirit of life sets us free from the power of sin. We're not enslaved to the sin. We're not in bondage to the sin. There, there can be and there is victory through Jesus. I still mess up. I still go against him. But we've been set free from being stuck and dragged down because his power sets us free to live for him. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, so am I. Am I abiding in his word? Do, do, do you listen for God's voice in your life? Do we know what the Bible teaches or do we just say we do? This is a big book. Do we treat Jesus as our one-time savior? Hey, way back when, thanks for that, Jesus. Or do we do what he just invited us to do and abide in him, to continue to walk with him, to continue to obey him by faith? When we read our Bibles, are we just looking for rules so that I can do stuff to earn points? Or when we read our Bibles, are we looking for what God wants because we want to please the Heavenly Father who has loved us so much? Because I think as, as the gospel transforms us, as we are made more and more like Jesus, as, as, the, as the good news changes us and transforms us, the natural response, the natural result out of our thankfulness will be to obey his word by faith, knowing that he knows best and that he wants to set us free. Because a gospel-saturated life says, I abide in God's word and I am set free. Freedom is found by those who hear and respond to God's word, not who go to a certain university. True freedom is found not by detectives looking for the truth of a mystery, but true freedom is found by those who hear and respond in faith to what God has said. When we ignore the Bible's teaching, we stay in slavery, but biblical people, people of God's word, Paseo del Rey, we are people of God's word. And biblical people listen and obey God's word, and in doing so, we find we receive grace and get to walk and live in freedom. Let's stand. I'd like to pray for you and for me. And as you stand, and the ushers will come in a moment to receive our gifts this morning, and the worship team will come, and we'll get to respond and worship through music. Let me pray for us. Father God, first of all, this morning we worship you. God, help us to not just think of ourselves all the time, but help us to, in our lives, minute by minute, hour by hour, God, teach us to worship you, to honor and praise and give you glory above all, because you alone are worthy, because you are the great creator God who has made everything out of nothing. We worship you. And we thank you, Father, for the cross and for sending your Son to live and die and rise again that we might find life in you. So, Father, help us to continue in Jesus' words. God, help us to not just 
put his words behind us as if we've already been there, done that, as if we've already been saved enough. But God, your work is ongoing and we, we pray that you'd help us to continue to abide in your word. Forgive us when we go astray. Forgive us when we rebel against you. And God, your word says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. God, we thank you for your grace that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for your the gift of salvation, a gift of incredible, amazing grace. We, trust, we entrust ourselves to you. We are thankful that we can receive your grace and salvation. And God, would you teach us to walk in freedom, in freedom to obey you, in freedom to live the lives you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.